Hello, and welcome to TV Saves the World. I am Ilum, and I'm drunk. I'm Priya, and I wish I were high. And today we are talking about immigration. Yeah, so Elam, what did you want to talk about today? Well, I figured that we could take a stab at a topic that is dear to my heart, because although Priya's voice now sounds a lot better, because she has a new microphone, I can never get rid of this goddamn accent. Your accent is great. Yeah, people say that, but like, you know, it's always there. (laughs) And it's, I don't like it, but I'm too lazy to do anything about it. And it's this thing that will always sort of mark me as an immigrant. And, you know, luckily immigration is sort of a topic that um, sci-fi and fantasy often has a lot to say about because, well, it just lends itself to metaphors here and there. So I figured that we could talk about that. We are two good people to talk about this because you are actually an immigrant and I am a child of immigrants. That's true. Yeah. And those are like two very distinct types of immigration experiences. Yeah, people um people occasionally think that they're actually the same and it's always a little frustrating to have to explain that like having, you know, your great grandfather move here from Ireland is not actually the same as being an immigrant yourself. Oh yeah, to be clear, I actually think that grandchild of immigrants is also like a distinct experience from child. No bad wishes or anything. It's just totally different. The more generations removed you are. What are some immigration shows that we want to talk about? One show that is sort of the the most famous show about immigration, right? at least for a while, on fancy cable channels, is a show by Neil Gaiman and some showrunners called American Gods. Then we could talk about another show where some of the same people were involved, which I think handles immigration a little bit better. Let's talk about American Gods. I remember reading American Gods, I guess it it was either in middle school or high school. I don't remember exactly. The show is like fairly consistent with the book. It takes this very common trope of gods kind of have the more power, like the more believers that they have. 
then it says, okay, so in America, like, what does that mean? Like, if you subscribe to this notion of America as a whole bunch of cultures that have like kind of been transplanted here, then kind of live side by side, like we have a whole bunch of gods here. But also, like, as people live here, they kind of forget their old culture and therefore their old god, and then they subscribe to new ones. That sets up the central tension in American gods, which is this tension between, like, the old world gods and the new world gods. And the new world gods are, like, you know, Mr. World representing globalization and, like, media, who later joins with Technology Boy, who represents the internet to be, like, social media. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> That's a real update. I think American Gods itself came out in like late 80s, early 90s. So that was well before social media. Yeah, it came out in 2001. Oh. It's it's right at the cusp of social media. I think it came out because Gaiman moved to the United States. And this was like one of his sort of first books here. And I mean, it's trying. And the TV show sort of came out in 2016 and really sort of leaned into this immigration narrative every episode starts with a little like vignette about like an immigrant who comes to america and has a life in america and like you know some immigrant gods and how they carry it in but i guess one thing i want to sort of when we sort of talk about it um and i guess a lot of this is gonna is gonna be my um my complaining because i do like the show i think it is i think it is very pretty and it was very enjoyable to watch it came out in 2016 sort of on the heels of like you know, remember when we like occupied an airport and then let any planes come in and they had to close the international terminal for like two days? Oh, uh, yeah. 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 That was like really fun. And that was that was around, you know, slightly before American Gods was coming out. And so it was very sort of cathartic to see immigration in mainstream media. And there are some ways in which the show was extremely political about it that we'll get to in a second. But I do sort of want to say something about the way that immigrants are treated in media in general and why I highlight American gods in specific, which is that at the end of the day, when American gods talks about immigrants, it talks about the other and it is very sort of obvious about it. So one example is every every episode starts with a vignette about how the gods came to America. And on one hand, that's kind of reasonable because like that is sort of the definition of, you know, well, this is where they came from. But on the other hand, it also has this weird side effects where it defines all immigrants by the story of how they became immigrants. And of course, as an immigrant, that's not the only thing that's defining to you. And a lot of the times those stories are really prosaic. One thing we see in American Gods is that all of, almost all of the immigrants who come to America come because they're refugees. And that's the story that Americans like to tell ourselves, like people come here from other countries because their lives there are really bad. And for some of the characters, I mean, yeah, there's like, there's, there's a man who is, who's a gay man from the Middle East. There's a woman who is fleeing the Iranian revolution. It's, I think it's not, you know, incidental that all of these are people of color. There's an amazingly really good episode actually, where there is a bunch of immigrants crossing the border um, around Mexico. And there's this sort of contest between the sort of Mexican Jesus and the American militia that is gunning them down. And it is presented as this sort of very good religion thing and it's really good but it also has the side effect of sort of reducing immigrants to those stories which is not great because that becomes the thing that people perceive as forever it's like you know if every story about queer people was only about the time that you came out to your parents and it was always traumatic yeah 
I guess, you know, for me personally, I think this is part of why I've just never been all that into Neil Gaiman. Like I kind of kind of all of his writing strikes me as this reductionist and this prosaic. In this particular case, like his sort of reductionist way of treating immigrants, like really plays into the standard American reductionist way of treating immigrants. Yeah, exactly. And you can almost also see it with the new gods, as you have mentioned previously. You know, they're the new gods. They're the true American gods, really, like media and the internet but it's kind of funny because i mean like the internet is international i mean kind of definitionally if you were being sort of more interesting about it you would you know you would notice this and and, you know you would not just have internet be white you would not have all of these gods just be associated with the default like born in the usa like white trump supporter aesthetic but with the exception of a guest appearance by David Bowie, that is that is what the show does. The immigrant gods are weird. They are defined by their foreignness. Like you have like these weird Russian gods that just like work in like a slaughterhouse and carry a hammer and like don't come out in daylight. And like, I don't know, man, like <laughs> most Russians I know actually like are much closer to being the gods of internet and like working for tech companies. So that's kind of weird, right? But it's not weird because that, you know, it's like that's that's sort of the story we tell about immigrants. And, you know, for Russian immigrants, there's only a couple of options that you get to be. You get to be a hacker, you get to be a lunch lady, you get to be sexy, you get to be a spy, you get to be the mafia. And then like everything else is just a combination of those. So, you know, yeah, like you get to hit things with hammers as a god. Thanks, Gaiman. My analogous opinion to this is I feel like there's such a huge range of like, American gods that I think would actually make sense as American gods that just aren't somehow like aren't addressed like why isn't Uncle Sam an American god why isn't like Lady Liberty an American god in fact here's one why aren't superheroes American gods like why hasn't Odin just morphed into like his superhero version from the Thor comic books I think it's because when you talk about people who are not the other you want to give them the benefit of metaphor you want to say oh yes the American gods are metaphors like the world and the media but you know those those weird ethnic gods oh those are literal I guess I also kind of feel like when you when people talk about like the world and media like what does that mean exactly? Like to me, the whole concept of the God, and I think this is one of the things that um, they keep trying to point out with the kind of weirdness of the foreign gods too. Like this is a belief or an idea that you will like sacrifice for. And like, this is where the gods like get their power from, right? It's like people sacrificing for them. Yeah. What do people actually like sacrifice for? And in the US, like, I don't actually think that you can say that people make sacrifices for the general concept of like the world or media or whatever. Like, I can see why someone might think that, like, if they buy into the very surface level idea of like the way that the US sells itself. But I really don't think it's true in any way. I mean, I think that it's supposed to be this weird, like, 90s thing, too, of like, did you know that people worship capitalism? Like the problem with capitalism is that people worship it and not that it kills people. Right. Nineties. <laughs> what a nice time. I do kind of think that the way that he picked the new gods feels very almost moral panicky in a sense. Like it feels like something that you understand why people would think that, but it's not actually based in any reasonable reading of the metaphor. That's absolutely true. And looking at the old gods, too, you can see it sort of play into the same sort of like 
anti-moral panic stereotypes, if that makes sense. You know, it's like, yes, you know, immigrants are good. But then as a result, all of these immigrants are either like really weird, like they've mentioned, you know, weird Eastern European immigrants. Come on, guys. Also, he made up a god that doesn't exist. And I spent so long being like, this doesn't make sense. Why? How can you have like that that type of 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 of, of dusk and, and you can't? They're not <laughs> supposed to be two. It's like dusk anyway. It's like dusk and dawn, and it's like you like what the fuck is the dusk of midnight anyway? Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm just saying like look like nobody ever respects the Russians as far as as far as narratives go, and this is this is my soapbox to bitch about it. We get we get shit like that. No one's ever gonna complain because we don't complain about it and. No one's going to complain on our behalf. But, uh, you know, you also get these gods that are really saintly. You get this grandmother and she dies, you know, making, you know, food for her grandchildren. And she goes to the afterlife and the gods of the afterlife ask her if she has done anything bad. And she says, well, I was unkind to a boy once. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm pretty sure my grandmother has done a lot more bad shit than that. (laughs) I guarantee you your immigrant grandmother is A, way more badass than that and also B, way meaner than that. Exactly. But, you know, like, because this is not based on any immigrant grandmothers, it's based on this concept of, you know, the good immigrant grandmother, the the weird immigrant Russian, you know, the confused, you know, refugee immigrant that uh, that was really sexy and then becomes a homeless and then becomes a weird sex predator who eats men. <laughs> cool story. Yeah. And I think this actually ties in, too, with the fact that there aren't any of these, like, kind of intermediate concepts of, like, you know, freedom, capitalism, etc., that are the gods that Americans actually worship. Because, like, like, I think the reason why those are really are, like, the true American gods is because, like, those are the ones that, like, like, when you get a whole bunch of people from different cultures together who are, like, actual people, like, those are the things that, like they end up choosing to do like those are the things that they end up working together or at least in the american context that they have ended up working together to promote and to sacrifice for exactly it it is it is sort of how we all adjust to a shared reality and it would have been great if, if he had shown that if we had examples uh, not of you know it's not that people forget the gods it's that they change they don't just change to become weird you know con men they they the, the, the change and the adjustment is much more natural and much more gradual. The idea of, yeah. you know, free, like freedom as would have been much more interesting because that is something that a lot of people do share as a value. And it looks very different for immigrants from a lot of countries. But at the same time, seeing that adjustment would have been much, much better. And would have allowed us to have new gods that are not just, you know, white, waspy Americans and British people. Yeah, and I think would have made the the conflict much more interesting too. Like I think part of the reason why American gods it like ends up like, you know, the little vignettes where you have like, oh, like here's a new god that we um are introduced to, like even if they're not based in any kind of reality, like sometimes they can be like narratively interesting. Yeah. But but then the whole thing like kind of stops being interesting when you get to the conflict, I personally think, because like you don't have like like the new gods just aren't as compelling as the old gods in any way because like they're not the real new gods. I mean, I love watching Jillian Andrews pretend to be David Bowie. That was great. <laughs> but like that's true i will watch jillian enders do anything yeah and i keep being like you know they're like waspy and also british but i guess there is you know there is something to say for the fact that uh 
you know, ironically, a lot of the a lot of the new gods, especially in media, do end up being you know British immigrants or you know otherwise not not necessarily as white, but the presentation is still intended to be that. It's still intended to be this conflict between, you know, the people who grew up here who worship the new gods and those dutiful immigrants that make food for their children and worship the old gods. And there is there is nothing in between. There's no sense that like being human is involves being like much more complex than either of these like two very narrow options. And being an immigrant involves being much more complex. It's not just one world or the other it's it's really both and it's not like they're not really worlds it just becomes a part of who you are i i'm an immigrant i moved here from russia and i have this accent but hopefully there is you know more to me than that you know it it used to frustrate me when people would be like you know you know people are interested in you being being an immigrant because it's the most interesting thing about you and i just i just hate that yeah (laughs) on twitter the other day i saw this tweet that was like this video of a Daisy family and they were doing this like traditional welcoming ceremony for their new puppy that involves like giving it a a tillock on its forehead and no like rose petals and like the whole shebang and it was so cute to me because like like traditional Indian culture like doesn't venerate pets that much like that's much more of like a white American thing yeah and so like this is the kind of thing like that like that's an immigrant story of like oh okay like here's this thing in our in this culture that we've adopted here's how we can like fuse it with our traditional culture like that's a thing immigrants do exactly it's oh that's beautiful yeah that that makes and it's joyful too I mean it's 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 beautiful it's fun um, you know, like when, you know, cooking is obviously a big part of immigrant culture a lot, but like, look, my family doesn't cook traditional Russian food because we don't, we don't like it. We've, we've changed all of our recipes to be better and more according to our tastes here. And that's normal, um, as a sort of less, less cute example. I don't have any cute examples like that. I literally just saw this yesterday and then I like showed my parents, I was like, should we do tealy for my rats? <laughs> uh, are you going to do that? I, my mom was like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> we have not actually done it. <laughs> oh, my God. If you do, can you send me pictures of your rats with the yeah. petals? Okay. They're going to look so confused. <laughs> it's it's going to be adorable. It's going to be adorable. Yeah. So should we talk about a show that handled immigration a little bit better? Yeah. Let's do that. So we talk a lot about how, you know, immigrants are not in real life are not just saintly old ladies or, you know, weird devilish devilish Russians that want to, you know, seduce you or hit you with a hammer, but like, you know, nothing in the middle. But the other sh- another show that is done by some of the same people is, in fact, about angels and demons. And I really think it's about immigration. And we should let's talk about that. Let's talk about good omens.
So the plot of Good Omens is that Aziraphale is an angel who lives on Earth, having been sent here by, you know, the heaven government to go do angel things. And Crowley is a demon who lives on Earth, having been sent here by the demon people to do demon things. And they've been here for a while. And the apocalypse is coming. And they are not very happy about it because they realize they really just kind of like living in England, in London specifically. And they don't really want the apocalypse to happen. They don't really want to go home and they don't want they don't want to do that. And so they eventually, you know, band together and stop the apocalypse. Also, Aziraphale and Crowley, I also named my rats after them uh, because Good Omens is like one of my favorite ever books. And I happen to get two rats that like really fit the character descriptions, at least in looks, although very much not in personality. Is Aziraphale not, like, nerdishly and bookish and runs a bookstore? Oh my god, Rat Aziraphale is the smallest and also the most dominant rat in the whole group. He is, like, a huge bully and he is extremely neurotic. That is the opposite of of the character. But the thing about these characters is they are fundamentally immigrants. But because the show does not position them as immigrants, it instead tells an immigrant story that is much more natural and much more close to a lot of my experiences with immigration, for example. So one thing that's interesting about it is that uh, both uh, Aziraphale and Crowley, don't, they're not really refugees. And a lot of immigrants are refugees. I mean, I know immigrants who are refugees. And for a lot of us, it is the idea of like having to go back is like extremely traumatic. But at the same time, you know, they, they came here for work and they stayed. They did not like flee heaven in a blaze of like lightning going after them at least not you know in the beginning of the book or the show <laughs> mm-hmm. they they kind of came here and they adjusted which gives us the other thing which is that they're you know they're well-adjusted immigrants if you look at Crowley and if you look at Aziraphale you're not gonna say say man yeah that guy is definitely an immigrant from heaven but you're gonna be like man that dude's a little weird and that's okay and it's very clear that their um, where they come from informs who they are as people. Aziraphale, he is sort of angelic. He's he's really into books, and he runs a quiet bookstore, and he likes all these things. And Crowley is kind of an asshole, and he yells at his houseplants to make them grow faster. <laughs> those those are all you know characteristics of the cultures they come from originally. I also really like Crowley's character detail of his car like his Bentley, you know, it's not because like he's super into cars. He's just like, oh yeah, this is my car. Yeah, which sort of brings us to the other thing, which is that Crowley and Aziraphale are allowed to be weird in ways that are not related to being immigrants. Yeah, (laughs) they have like actual personalities. Like Crowley actually just likes his car and it's not, you know, you you can describe him without saying the word immigrant, which you can't really do for any of the characters in American Gods, like even the ones that are are great. You're like, yes, you know, this guy is a Middle Eastern gay man in love with a djinn. But like the, 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 the immigrant part there is like really critical in a way that like you probably could describe Crowley as like, you know, well, he has magical powers and he loves his car. It's kind of a dick. And he's really invested in having very well-growing houseplants for some reason. And he yells at them to make them grow faster because he's kind of a dick. Yeah, I was also not into houseplants, but then like COVID happened and they just kept growing. And now I have like more. I should try playing podcasts for them. <laughs> See if I can have educated houseplants. Oh, that's a good one. 
The other thing I want to talk about with Good Omens is I think part of the reason why it's so good at this depiction of them like as people is because it is really fundamentally a human story. And like the whole reason why the apocalypse ends up being averted is because like, you know, there's this whole thing where the babies get switched around in the hospital when like Crowley shows up. The Antichrist, he's literally named Adam, and he just ends up being raised by like this extremely normal human couple. And in in this, like, extremely, like, normal human place, like, this kind of small English village, and they kind of go on at length about how, like, because he's so powerful and he loves it so much, like, time just kind of doesn't touch it, and, like, there's a reason why it's been, it becomes, like, this kind of unspoiled kid's paradise and, like, blah, blah, blah. Which which is actually points for that, because I don't think that American gods would have ever tried to explain why something keeps being this, like, unspoiled traditional American paradise. The canonical human path is to be like you know what like kind of fuck these options that have been set in front of me i am gonna do my own thing instead and this is the part where i I mentioned that um despite questioning about my accent i often see being an immigrant as being a strong suit um because it means that i can pick and choose what values i can hold i can see i've seen you know sort of more of what what people are like and what different different structures can be. And it's a lot easier for me to say, well, I don't know, like, here's another way to view it. What if I think about this problem in Russian and then I imagine my father, you know, yelling at me? <laughs> my parents just want me to my homework, I think. But it's but it's useful. And, it's, and it means that in a way, it is much easier for me to be true to myself because I can see, you know, well, this is external and this is external. So which of these do I want to pick? And I appreciate that Gdomans does that in the end, you know, both Crowley and Aziraphale pick the things that work for them, which for them is, you know, staying on Earth and going to their favorite lunch place. And that's valid. And that's kind of the whole point of the, the series. I, it's it's hard to imagine something like American Gods, you know, saying, you know, oh, yes, you know, you know, those immigrants, you know, they're like the same lunch places as the rest of us, unless it isn't specifically to say because they are normal, just like us, CM, vote Democrat. And you should vote vote Democrat. What is wrong with you? But. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, like if if American gods did, it would be like, look, they're just normal people like you or I. Whereas when Good Omens does it, it's like, well, yeah, they're just like normal people like you or I. And Carly's still an asshole with redeeming qualities. (laughs) And even he, with all his powers, can't stop his car tapes from morphing into Best of Queen. You know, one problem with being an immigrant is all the small things that go wrong, all the, the spices you can't find and the way that like roses come in dozens and then it's like terribly rude in your culture and you have to throw one of them out every time you go somewhere. Yeah, I didn't know this until you told me. Yeah, it's like my favorite example of, you know, the way that being an immigrant is not, you know, it's not like a lot of times people are like, oh, yes, you know, it's like discrimination. But it, I mean, it, that, that, that happens. But also a large part of it, just like small ways in which the world is discomfortable. And one of those is like in Russia, it is considered, you know, gosh, to bring somebody an even number of flowers. Those are for funerals. And so, but roses in America only come in dozens. And so everybody has their own ways of like, you know, oh, you know, we brought two bouquets to our mother-in-law. One had seven roses and one had five. At the end of the day, I mean, you know, it's a small adjustment and you make it and you go on with your life. Yeah. And I think that's really why, you know, at least I remember when I was growing up, like, and I think this was just because of like the 90s 
halo effect of like that one decade where america was like we are the superpower and everybody likes us and nobody hates us and then like 9-11 came along and like ruined that fantasy uh yeah that was a good time for that solid decade in there uh we were like living in you know this fantasy world where everything was great one thing that i remember a lot from that that i've heard you know obviously progressively less of since 9-11 was this rhetoric about america is a nation of immigrants and like we are a whole bunch of people you know e pluribus unum we have all come together with all different experiences in order to share them all with each other and then use them to like enhance our entire group understanding of like what is a good or a bad thing to do. I feel like by the time I was growing up, whenever I hear people say that, it's always like America is a nation of immigrants. For example, I come from the Irish and it's really not helpful if you're a recent immigrant. It, I mean, it's nice. I, I appreciate the sentiment, but it's not the same. <laughs> Yes, as we have discussed at length. <laughs> I just I grew up a lot of, around a lot of Irish, okay. But altogether, you know, if you want a good if you want a good narrative about immigration from Neil Gaiman, who is himself an immigrant from Britain, we recommend Good Omens, which is great and is coordinated with Terry Pratchett, who Priya likes a lot more than Priya likes Neil Gaiman. <laughs> That's just me. I'm just like a Terry Pratchett super fan. I'm like one of those people. You know, I I enjoyed American Gods, but. Um, as an immigrant, I have some, it, it uses some some stereotypes and some ways of treating the issue that always make me a little uncomfortable. And I guess I just wanted to rant about it. So thank you for listening. Let's take a break and then we'll come back with another immigration show. What is our next immigration show? Yeah, so in case you thought that suddenly we had gone legit, we are going to talk about a show that is terrible. Well, it's not terrible. It's actually great. It's a B-level show. You've never heard of it. No, it's not Alien Nation, the show made in the 90s where the aliens crash land on Earth and an alien works with a human detective as his partner in the police. First of all, fuck the police. Second of all... <laughs> that sounds like such a 90s show. <laughs> it is 100% a 90s show. And it does, you know, everything that the 90s shows and, you know, American gods do, which is, you know, just be like, here's a metaphor for immigrants. Look, it's weird. He's an immigrant. Okay, his partner is an immigrant. How progressive. So we're not going to talk about that show. It only lasted a season because it was just not very good. Although I think in one of the episodes, like, you know, the, the one of them gets pregnant and they're both dudes, of course, and there's a lot of jokes about knitting. Uh-huh, because it's a 90s show. I'm so glad I don't live in the 90s and that I don't knit. 
I just want to say that I knitted way before it was cool in the 90s. Like, I was knitting when I was, like, 12 years old, and everybody was like, what is this weird-ass hobby you have? And I was like, it's knitting. It's cool. And now everyone else is knitting. I was just 20 years too early. What? What? You were on point. <laughs> I'm too insecure about my masculinity. I don't I don't think I can do it. Also, I just, I just don't want to. But instead, we're going to talk about a show from the 2000s called Defiance. So Defiance was on the sci-fi channel, which we must call the Siffy channel, thanks to sci-fi's terrible branding choices. Mmm, Siffy, like the Polish word for never mind. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and yeah, so Defiance was one of their, like, kind of post-Battlestar Galactica shows. Like, like, I think Battlestar Galactica was, like, the watershed moment for Siffy where they were like, oh, shit, like, when we do, like, our normal B-level show stuff, it can actually be really good and, like, people can really like it and be really into it. Uh... Then they stopped doing it, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and they, like, almost got it back with Defiance in that season one is a really, really good commentary on immigration and multiculturalism of course season two just like totally fizzles all of that away yeah season two never happened so the plot of defiance is that some time ago the aliens called the Vonans came to earth as sort of you know refugees from their planet which got destroyed whatever but when they had set out on their you know long trek they had assumed that earth was uninhabited and they were here to sort of you know re repopulate um, it turned out they were wrong, and humans were here, and there was a war, but in the process, the terraforming machines went loose and terraformed everything. And now humans and aliens live on Earth and resolve their differences peacefully, but also everybody is kind of an immigrant in this weird, this weird place because the terraforming machines have just messed everything up in a way that is neither Vuota nor Earth nor anything completely reasonable in any way. And the show takes place in post-apocalyptic St. Louis. Which still has an arch. And has been renamed the Town of Defiance. And the arch is dope. <laughs> you know, when we were talking about this earlier, we definitely had a whole discussion on whether Defiance really counts as, like, immigration or colonialism, kind of specifically for this reason of, like, these terraforming machines showed up and, like, completely changed the whole environment. And I think what we sort of settled on is, you know, in a lot of cases, it would count as colonialism. And what makes it seem more like a multicultural show is that the Votans are not really there to impose their will. They are just as lost as all of the human characters, and they are trying to adjust the best they can. And the show treats them as immigrants, which is kind of a difference, I guess, in a way between being an immigrant and being a colonizer is, you know, are you there to adjust to the life or are you there to sort of impose your way on people with the force of um, power? Yeah, a very important difference. 
I think it's important that in this context, like the Votans aren't, you know, when Europeans came over and started colonizing the Americas and other places, like they had a line back to Europe, you know, where they that they could send back to for like reinforcements and equipment and like, you know, also just general reassurance that like, yes, we should impose our will on them and not the other way. You know, we shouldn't try to adjust to what how they live but like the votans uh kind of showed up in in the defiance world they show up kind of as refugees you know they don't have to stay that way but like they they don't like have that same level of power over the like native human population of earth uh as like the europeans ended up having and in fact the show tries to play the votans much more as sort of immigrant narratives in terms of, you know, people running away from their past or talking about how they were only allowed to bring one thing on the ship with them as they were leaving. Technically, they were allowed to bring three, but I think Detactar only brought one. And it was a knife because he's a dick. <laughs> and uh, I do want to give the shout out to the fact that one of the main characters is, in fact, played by a First Nations actor, which I think goes to somewhat acknowledging the fact that random people show up to your land and terraform it to your liking is something that has happened in the Americas before and was not great. I think what we're trying to say is they did a, a very good job of, like, by the time that you're watching the events of the show unfold, like, this really is kind of a multicultural, everybody is on mostly equal standing, but everybody is also really different. And everybody is trying to figure out, okay, like, what does it mean to navigate that everybody is equal but different in this way? And one of the things that the show does well is that it doesn't make it too weird. So one thing I sort of talked about in American Gods is how the immigrant is always the other. They're strange and they're alien. And everybody kind of treats them as such. Everyone's like, man, these people are weird. Or they're really saintly. But one of the sort of, you know, random things that happens is, you know, at some point in time you find out that... um, there's a sort of Romeo and Juliet romance between the two mafia families and their kids. And eventually the kids get married. And then, you know, the daughter is pregnant and her mother-in-law is this, you know, one of the Vodans and she's this weird, you know, pale skill alien and she can smell it. And so when she comes over for dinner, she says, oh, oh, you're pregnant. I can smell it. That's amazing. I'm so happy for you. And everyone is like, all right, oh, gotta, learn, gotta, gotta work with that. And everyone is kind of like, well, that was that was a little awkward, but it's not like, you know, malicious and, and it's not weird. And everyone is just kind of delighted. And the story continues on and they continue having, you know, mafia family drama instead of weird immigrant drama. I also one thing that I do kind of like about this is, you know, that the heads of both of the families, they're like, OK, there's a lot of wealth at stake. Um, there's a lot of power and status at stake. Like we have to be really careful. But the two kids have like zero like real internal like they have not internalized this at all like they're just like boring whiny kids <laughs> and it's kind of hilarious how boring and whiny they are and it you know makes a lot of sense like that's also that's a very standard immigration story of like you know you're from a different um culture and a different place and you show up and you're like okay well like i have all these ideas of like what i am trying to achieve in this new setting but your kid has none of those expectations and also none of those like inborn ideas your kid is like dude i'm, I'm just here i'm just existing like what do you want from me the son of the alien mafia family mostly just wants to be a radio DJ. He plays uh, dope records from the um, the St. Louis Arch. He's he's good at it. I mean, clearly, but he's not you know unaware of what his parents' customs are, and he's not entirely rejecting them. Like he still you know does the stupid family bath thing or whatever it is that they do, and lives in what looks like an Apple store. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was early 2000s, okay? They had a limited idea of good aesthetics. <laughs> Didn't we live through the early 2000s? <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when everything tried to look like like an Apple store and everyone was like, oh, our coffee shop looks like an Apple store now. How delightful. I remember going to a chocolate shop that like was clearly trying to look like an Apple store. I I mean, at, at least they could have sold apples. Like that would have been a fun joke. We also rewatched, I think, episode two of season one. One of the reasons why this does a good job is that it shows there's a whole bunch of different alien cultures and a whole bunch of individuals within those cultures. And so one of those cultures is like super patriarchal, like, you know, traditional, blah, blah, blah. And so... Uh, this one guy runs away from the battle and so then they're like okay this guy's a coward now we have to like enact our cultural justice on him and it is a huge human rights violation like it's essentially judicial torture and you know they're doing it and everyone's like so what do we do now Uh, and you know to make things even more complicated the guy himself is like yes i'm a member of this culture and this is the thing that we do to people like me and therefore like i deserve this and so everyone is like uh so do we just like let this guy be tortured to death like in the middle of the city like what what the fuck do we do now and they mentioned that previously they had tried to stop a ritual by one of the cultures that lives in the city and it ended really badly and you know everybody got really upset and so now the answer is well we probably won't stop it it's actually very similar to a story that got done on both babylon 5 and star trek in the 90s but of course there it was a story about you know a kid who's dying of a disease and his parents will let him have surgery. And I find the contrast to be sort of fascinating because of course it's a much better story when it's a consenting adult. But of course on defiance, they, what they end up with is, you know, they, they go through a lot of shenanigans to stop it. And eventually that it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. I mean, the, the guy's a consenting adult and part of, part of accepting other cultures is accepting that sometimes consenting adults are going to do things that you disagree with. Like they really find a good way to focus in on, you know, when you have these kinds of settings, you're going to have these kinds of tensions flare up that really nobody has the answer for. And and there kind of is no good answer. We all just kind of have to, to figure it out. I also want to talk a bit about the character of Stama, who is the, um, the wife of the sort of alien mafia family because we were in awe of her when we were watching it ah she's so good uh the actress who plays her is incredible and we love her in warehouse 13 also jamie murray you know despite being the sort of alien foreigner she's literally the personification of white feminism she is literally all white like an apple store and occasionally through the show, she gets the sort of chance to become more liberated and, you know, side with her girlfriend who runs the local bordello or against her husband or, you know, otherwise sort of gain power for herself, but at the expense of giving up on the sort of cushy situation she has as the wife of this alien mafia boss. And it is clear that she thinks that her culture has fucked it up and she's not really on board with it. But at the end of the day, what she is on board with is where she is in society and her actual power. And if when it does come to any change that she makes, it's going to be within the realm and the sort of frameworks of the society that she comes from. You know, on one hand, white feminism is bad, but on the other hand, it's an interesting sort of portrayal of, I think, the sort of also a white feminist instinct to say, oh, you know, if we just teach these people about feminism, they will they will do it. And 
the show sort of acknowledges that that's not going to happen. I think we also really like the character of Doc Yule, who's the super snarky Botan doctor. She looks like a lizard, and she is the snarky doctor. And you eventually find out that she's gotten kicked out of her, you know, science order of science aliens for, you know, the war crimes. (laughs) Hashtag the war crimes. She always sort of straddles this line of somebody who is kind of sorry for what they did, but really doesn't want to talk about it, but is definitely a little bit sorry. It's this nice sort of continuation of the idea on one hand of, you know, yes, you know, part of being an immigrant is that the choices that you have made in the past will follow you to where you are. And also that you can become a new person who is perhaps less into the war crimes. But is still really snarky and doesn't care that much about other people. A large part of her character are the choices that she then continues to make every day while living in the settlement and uh, being the doctor and not committing any war crimes. Something that gets reversed in season two when she just becomes kind of evil. Less cool. Also, it was nice to have, you know, a scientist who is not a man, who is morally questionable on a show, because that is pretty rare. Should we move on then to our final immigration show? All right, let's do it. Yay, let's talk about Never Have I Ever. Never Have I Ever, uh, which is not a sci-fi show in any way, but is definitely a recognizable genre show. It's a show about teenagers doing teenage things in teenage school. High school. (laughs) I also kind of recognize it as I used to read a whole bunch of realistic fiction books about like basically children of immigrants who were, you know, caught between what their parents wanted them to do and what, you know, American culture wanted them to do, blah, blah, blah. And I think this Never Have I Ever fits in really, really, really well. Like, it's a very standard example of that kind of genre or maybe even subgenre. It definitely, definitely feels like it is, yeah. So Never Have I Ever is about a high school student who's a family is from India and whose father has died shockingly the previous year. And this is the year that she's kind of returning back to school while still sort of dealing with grief, dealing with her mother who is dealing with her own grief over losing her husband and dealing with the fact that her cousin Kamala has moved in into their house from India because she's a grad student at Caltech. And it's sort of these three generations of women under one roof the, the show, you know, really focuses a lot on the sort of friendships, for example, that the protagonist has in her group of friends who are all nerds, um, who are all nerds of color, who are all women, and one of whom turns out to, you know, be a lesbian and comes out as a lesbian. And there is, you know, some conflict with her family about that. 
and sort of what that means when you're not um, mainstream white and have to sort of deal with reconciling your family's expectations that you do value versus, you know, being being queer. Yeah, uh, and Never Have I Ever was also written by Mindy Kaling, who I kind of feel like is just like now the Hollywood go-to writer for like super smart, like not totally white bread mainstream comedies like all of her comedy i think is really insightful it's interesting it's not cheap it doesn't rely on like kind of the same cheap stereotypes that everyone else is relying on like it's witty Ooh, nice yeah i've i've enjoyed her comedy in the past this is her show about a teenager and it it scans it feels like a show that you know would have would have applied to us if we had been teenagers. I mean, I think we've said that before, but we know I talked about it at length. (laughs) Yeah, I was definitely very pleasantly surprised with how much I identified with it. Like in a lot of ways, I'm like not really like I don't feel like I've really had the average quote unquote Daisy experience, like whatever that is. My parents are pretty different than what people expect from Indian immigrants. You know, like my my mom is a different religion. She's Parsi. You know, they had a love match instead of an arranged marriage. And like they weren't really into the whole like local Indian community scene. Can we can we step away for a second and just mention that a big stereotype of immigrants is that there's always this huge local community that immigrants are a part of. But like that's not really necessarily true. A lot of Russian immigrants I talked to have very intentionally never been a part of a Russian community. A lot of communities have very complicated relationships. The the guy who um, who runs a coffee shop that I go to talk when I is from Japan. We talk about immigration a lot, and that is also a very different situation. So the entire like, oh, and you must be part of this huge community of people like you is this cute projection we have that is also just not always true. This kind of goes back to this idea, again, of immigrants, like not having agency and of like this idea that all humans are a monolith in the sense that all humans only want to be around people who are exactly like them and where they have to do like the minimum amount of cognitive labor to understand what's happening, which I just don't think is true. Right. No, I mean, it's it's much more complicated than that. And it also this presumes this idea that like, you know, all, all immigrants from India are the same. You're, you're all you're all part of the same religious group. You don't have any sort of social class issues between you, obviously. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's never been any social class issues in India. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't invent the entire idea of caste. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> it's it's the magic function of airplanes. The moment the moment you set foot here, you forget all about it. But yeah, like one thing we talked about a lot with it is it kind of captures that in-betweenness and it captures it really well in the form of the three characters. Uh Davy, who's the main character, her mother, Nalini, and uh her cousin Kamla they're kind of captured in these three different like in betweenness stages of immigration, right? Like Nalini came to the U S as an adult, like didn't really expect to like become super American was just like, I'm here to like work and make money. Uh, Kamla has come to the U S in order to like continue her education and is like starting to assimilate more and like figure out like, what do I want? Like outside of my cultural norms. And then Davy was born in the U S and is like fully assimilated. (laughs) 
Yeah. And to sort of add to that, the thing that it does well is it shows that change has also happened in India. Different waves of Russian immigrants are very different. Really, former Soviet Union immigrants is what, what people often say, because that's kind of more accurate. Because of how those that area in the world has changed, uh, India has also changed a lot. And we see that in the show where the cousin who is who is you know sort of been living in india more recently but is actually much less conservative because she grew up in an, in, in a much more liberal country than the protagonist's mother who grew up in india but like back in the day oh my god i have this argument with my parents all the time like i watch like modern indian media on netflix and i'm like constantly telling them like look this is a it's a different country now <laughs> like all of these things that you keep passing off as like oh this is we just do this because we're indian and if you go to india people do that no if you go to india people don't do that anymore it's always kind of a funny thing where you're like no like actually these immigrants are the ones that are stuck in time because they have they don't understand that the country they moved from has evolved but I mean, th- there's a very famous bottleneck effect, like Quebecois French speakers like speak this super archaic version of French. Oh, yeah. Except for the cursing. You know, like part of the thing about Indians being imported mostly for thought labor in the U.S., then the people who come over are the ones who are able to get the really good educations, which means they were very high class. We're much more likely to see a lot more Brahmins and other high social status. I mean, my father's a Brahmin. That's why he was able to have an education that brought him here. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. I guess I never thought about it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, this is the kind of thing that you don't think about because, like, it doesn't. And never have I ever didn't, like, go into all of the details of it. Like, Indians are not actually all a monolith. Like, part of the reason why people can cast us all as a monolith is because the mechanics of getting here have selected for a certain group of people. Just like the most visible mechanics for people coming from, like, Latin American countries also selects for a particular group of people. Absolutely. Well, and also, if you're living in, like, you know, the middle of nowhere, that's, you know, going to be a lot of the people that you see because you may not come into contact with people who are in the sort of the more sort of product manager like thought labor positions i guess when i say thought labor what i mean is like not manual labor right but that's my point like for a lot of people the only time you interact with people who are strange to you is when they're in a service position oh yeah 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 i see what you mean yeah and so you're going to be like, yes, obviously, you know, Russians are, are lunch ladies. And I heard that they're in the mafia because, you know, you don't interact with a lot of programmers. And especially when you're a writer, like, I think one of the things that actually writers don't know is that they themselves are a pretty insulated community. Yeah. This is something I've been thinking a lot about as like, I think this is part of what makes watching a lot of shows weird is because writers are writing from their perspective which like often is a perspective of people who are for example super math phobic or like who have a certain reaction to the world which is why they became writers but then also that dictates like how everyone else has to see the world now yeah exactly and they think that and they often think that you know oh you know we have we have very world than we know it but like if your entire world comes from what your friends have retweeted that's not actually the entirety of the world that's still going to be a very select sample and like I, like it's not that being a writer relies on that but being the kind of writer who gets picked to do like mm. major projects exactly yes it's a better way to put it yeah relies on being that like there's a whole machine like there's this whole corporate machine that functions you know including in tech to like kind of pick people with that same like cultural background like uh because that's like how they recognize merit I also want to point out that a lot of the 
professions that are writer adjacent, like law, for example, or business, like are also things that because they rely so heavily on this background of cultural knowledge. So like even in those writer adjacent fields, like you're much less likely to know people who are immigrant professionals. You're much more likely to run into those people when you are in some kind of science field, because famously, that's where like, quote unquote, native born Americans are less likely to go into. Well, maybe if you all did your homework instead of going to soccer practice. <laughs> but that's part of the problem, right? Like, like immigrants and children of immigrants are conditioned to think of STEM fields as like the big achieving fields because for our parents, like that's how you got into the US. Like that was how you got your big achievement. Well, and it's the one thing that nobody can take away from you. If you know how to do physics, you're going to know how to do physics in any country. Whereas if you know law, that's not really transferable knowledge. Yep, exactly. But the thing is, in the US, if you look at like how far you get as like a science and math person, the relative success of startups has kind of been an outlier. And even in technology, like the people who make like tons and tons of money and get a lot of the fame usually aren't the tech people. It's usually like the business people who are associated with them. That's true. That's true. And as the sort of field becomes more, uh, more gentrified, it becomes more reliant on the sort of business people. And all of the everything that that carries with it. Yeah. And so I think this is part of why there's this stereotype of especially white Americans don't do their homework. It seems to me like it's actually a sort of tacit cultural acknowledgement that like a lot of the success, financial uh, success and social success of white Americans has not come from accumulating more knowledge or like actually fairly outcompeting other people started off by coming from like violence and colonialism and now that's kind of softened into like it comes from access to like being in the same cultural background although i mean you still have to distinguish yourself a little bit but like the gist of it comes from that it's a lot easier yeah But, uh, but that's also why the sort of, come back to the point, why the sort of own voices thing is so important, because it means that it takes Mindy Kaling to write a compelling sort of show about Indian American immigrants, uh, because she did actually grow up in that, in that environment. I think also she does a really good job of like bringing that into representing DC culture in a way that is very much geared towards making sense of it for people who are not in that culture. So like... For example, uh, John McEnroe, who narrates the whole series, he's a white tennis player. For some reason, Indians are like kind of into tennis, like a lot more than you would expect. And so like John McEnroe actually is like a figure who I think is much more well known among Indians of that generation than like anybody in white America probably realizes. For example, I already knew who he was specifically because my parents would be like, look, we have to watch tennis. Here is John McEnroe. He's one of the great. Much like Davy's father says in like the first episode. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Oh, that's amazing. It's really it's really the small moments like that that are like obscure that make that make culture work that are much more realistic than American gods that I'm still complaining about. My sort of perennial complaint about, you know, whenever we talk about representation, like I think kind of the shallow, like surface level way to to talk about it is like, oh, it's so great for people of this culture to see themselves represented in this, you know, piece of media, blah, blah, blah. But like, I actually think the real upside to representation is not actually, you know, to people 
like me. The actual point of it is to represent us to everybody else who like doesn't understand us because that that's what media and pop culture is at this point. Like in our culture, it is essentially here are the stories that you need to know to make sense of the world around you. And when certain stories are left out of that, then people en masse cannot use those stories to make sense of the the people who those stories are supposed to represent. And so that creates like all of this tension. And so like to me, like that's always been the real reason why representation is so important is because like the people who aren't in that culture like need to be reminded oh right these people aren't weird they're just like human beings who happen to do like slightly different things than you do but like it's really fine and it's nice to sort of provide that context so that the next time that you run into someone from that culture you have context that's not just terrible stereotypes like even if you know the outlines of it you don't you probably don't really understand like you know how does that interact with them as a person and like what can I expect that like comes from their culture versus from them as a person and I think the whole goal of shows like Never Have I Ever and representational shows in general is in part to be like you know it's not that you should try and like separate these two things it's that you should figure out how to move forward knowing that they are intertwined Exactly. When I, when I first started watching the show, I was really annoyed that there was this entire plot line about her father dying because I was like, I don't need this plot line. This is really melodramatic. But I kind of warmed up to it because I think that it's important for it to be melodramatic because it's important for it to be just another show about a high school girl who happens to be Indian rather than a show about this girl, you know, grasping with her immigrant roots, which is what a lot of shows turn out t- turn into and which becomes that, that trope that we don't really like that much. Oh, I remember the specific thing I wanted to say about this. I have a really unmitigated thirst for Davy's teacher, Mr. Shapiro, who in the series is portrayed as this like weird guy who's like, oh yeah, he's kind of out of touch. Like he comes and does like a birthday acknowledgement for Ben, and Ben is like, what? <laughs> and Mr. Shapiro's like, I don't want to presume that it's a happy one. It oh could be god. sad. Aww. However you're feeling. <laughs> oh my god. And Ben is like, what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> that is that is such a teacher thing. I know, right? And um, there's also this part in the model UN trip where he's like, oh, yeah, I have to have like a Skype call with my girlfriend because we just became exclusive. And then it turns out that they have to like loop in their therapist on the Skype call. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> i love it um it, it's it's very funny and at first you're like oh my god mr shapiro like what's wrong with his life but then like as i watched it like i've watched this i've watched this season like several times now i i began to be like you know i kind of feel like mr shapiro knows all of these things like he knows that like this is something that can be construed as like a joke and he's just like okay with it like he's just like all right I'm going to be this kind of like weird person who everyone kind of laughs at because it's more important that I be someone who they trust and who is like nice to people, you know, who is willing to be like that person in their lives. That's more important to me than like looking like good all the time. That's a characteristic that I really admire. That's a good characteristic in a teacher too, the sort of like, look, you know, sometimes sometimes being a dork is fine. Yeah. Exactly. Like he he comes across as somebody who is actually secure enough to like embrace his dorkiness and just like roll with it. Yeah. 
Well, before before we wrap this up, I do want to I do want to lodge a complaint. In the first episode of Never Have I Ever, there's a Russian exchange student and he bites a fucking onion. And I just want to say that's not normal. Russians don't do that. The racism against against Russians is actually kind of annoying. I really wish the show hadn't done that. I can certainly understand where you're coming from. Like, I do kind of feel like Russians in a weird way, like, it's this weird cross between, like, being stuck in, like, kind of Soviet Union, Cold War, uh, like, stereotypes, and also being, like, the white people who you can be weird about. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I have a, have a friend who used to say that, you know, Russians would almost be better off if we weren't white, because at least then people would notice that it's it's awkward. And I, I mean, you know, there, there's a lot to be said for white privilege, but it is it is definitely a weird, weird space. Um, yeah. Do we have anything else to say about Never Have I Ever? Uh, I think I'm good. All right, cool. Stay tuned for our upcoming episodes uh, involving international offerings. The villain was right. And I think we definitely have to talk about Lovecraft Country at some point. Yeah, we're going to do that. Yeah, so stay tuned. Uh, There will be more episodes about some slash all of these things. 